You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I've never seen the world more messed up than it is right now. And for me to continue on and investing um, the way I think uh, uh, a rational person would, I, I just don't think a rational person in this environment would be uh, putting more money to work, they'd sort of be saying, well, listen, maybe I'll just sit tight here for a while and just see how things develop. I'm Bill Powers, it's Mining Stock Education. Thanks for tuning in again today. And with the tumultuous times we're seeing in the world, record inflation, uh, potentially World War III, it's looking like it's shaping up to, and all the different shifts, uh, Bretton Woods Three, some are talking about that's occurring in the world. I was thinking who to reach out to, to speak to on these things and even advise me personally on what I should do with all these U.S. dollars that I have in my bank. So I reached out to Warren Irwin of uh, Rossau Asset Management. He's the chief investment officer as well as founder. Warren, welcome back onto the show. Now you're overcoming COVID and you still agreed to do this interview. So I first have to commend you for that. And thanks for coming back on the show. Well, th thanks, Bill. Yeah, I, I definitely... Uh... Hope you're exactly right that I'm overcoming it um, and it doesn't get much worse than it is. But uh, that's the reason why you're, you're, I have a more masculine voice today. So <laughs> <laughs> Your voice is a little deeper than mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, could you speak to uh, particularly those of us in the States or, or throughout the world that are holding U.S. dollars? I have physical gold and silver. I have my mining stocks. I have some real estate and some other investments. But then... I've been asking myself, particularly in the last 30 days, what do I do with all these U.S. dollars I have in my bank account? Uh, what advice might you give someone like me? Well, the good part of it is um, this has happened historically before. And uh, if you take a look at it, I've got a couple of books here on my bookshelf, uh, both the Weimar Republic, uh, Germany pre-rise of Hitler sort of thing, where they had hyperinflation. That's a not a, not a dissimilar situation here that, that we could end up in should... Uh, Things get a little bit out of hand, but it shows basically how um, the, the people that, that won in that situation were basically people who owned hard assets and had mon money in currencies that were um, uh, much better than the, uh, the, the mark at the time. Um, so, you know, in, in today's world, you know, what would that be? It'd be, you know, the Swiss franc um, and, uh, and others like that, just super hard currencies. The thing about gold is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, I've listened my entire career about people talking about gold's going to a bazillion dollars an ounce and we're going to make a fortune on gold. And well, gold, one thing gold has proven to me in my career and what I've seen realistically is gold is a store of value, not necessarily a way to make a ton of money. So when you have when you have major money in whatever way you do it, whether it be trading, trading mining stocks or whatever, to own gold or gold, gold bullion, it's a way to protect that money. Uh, as far as expecting any massive runs on it, I think I'm not sure you want to expect. You want to factor that into your ex, uh, expectations. There's, there's enough people calling for crazy prices on gold. I'm not one of those people. I'm saying um, gold is a great a great way to protect your wealth. So obviously, I have some some gold, and uh, my recollection is I paid $500 an ounce for it. Now it's around 2000. So it's quadrupled in value during the whole period I've held it. So it, it definitely has uh, protected the value um, of my purchasing power. And, um, you know, it, it's truly is incredible how, uh, you know, you could dig up a, um, a bag of coins that were buried 
you know, thousand plus years ago by some Viking somewhere and um, you yank it out today, it's still worth a lot of money. And um, that's where I'm not totally convinced that in a thousand years from now, somebody's going to turn on a laptop and your, you know, your Bitcoin is going to have, have value. Um, there's something to be said about having something that you could, with a store of value that you could throw in your knapsack and start crossing borders with. And um, you, uh, so I, I'm still quite edgy on this whole Bitcoin thing and, and relying on uh, uh, relying on global networks, especially, you know, when you're, you're looking at where we are today with uh, the possibility of world war three, where you can imagine um, when nuclear weapons start going off, if they, if they do um, the electromagnetic pulse doesn't, doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't work too well on, um, doesn't help electronics. So a lot of electronics around the world will get blown up if indeed uh, we go live with nuclear. So um, I think the thing to have is gold. And uh, now you talk about silver. Uh, I remember going to the Bank of Nova Scotia's vault in Toronto. A friend of mine was kind enough to organize a tour for me. So I walk into this big vault, one of the, I think it's the biggest in Toronto. And um, I'm looking around, I'm looking at these big skids and these massive bars. And I'm like, wow, look at all this gold. And then I go up there and I said, that's not gold. That's tarnished silver. I said, well, that's, that's one of the big beefs of silver is it tarnishes, right? It's not, nobody talks about it, but it's awful. Okay. Well, where's all the gold? Where's all this gold to hear about? And they go, Oh, it's over in that cabinet. So we opened this little cabinet. Oh, there's all the gold. So that struck me very, very importantly in, in that the store of value of gold is very, very compact compared to silver. Right. And, uh, you can have a little little wafer this big, right? It'll be a kilogram of gold, right? It'll be worth, uh, um, I think, around eighty, well, eighty thousand Canadian dollars right now. I think so. Um, the gold has. I would prefer gold over silver, just because it, it you know, you throw it in the ground, it doesn't tarnish. Uh, you dig it up, you uh, can throw it in your knapsack, take it on a plane, go wherever you want to go, like do, do whatever you want to do, go wherever you need to do, and it always has value. And it's small, whereas you're, if you're hauling around this massive bar of silver, that's tricky. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of gold and gold coins, but I would think that if you're, you plan on staying in one place, uh, having silver coins wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I'm not as much of a fan of silver. I think uh, gold's the place to be. And uh, so um, put your money in hard currencies, in some gold, in real assets. Uh, there's stories when you read any book about the Weimar Republic about uh, businessmen going into the bank and borrowing large sums of money to buy a company, paying the poor typical, uh, you know, blue collar German saver, you know, virtually no interest rate yet in about several months time, they're able to repay that loan with a day's earnings from the company. So the savers who, who blindly just kept their money in the banks got completely destroyed and the borrowers who were able to get access to capital to buy real assets were the ones that made out uh, like bandits in that environment. And where we are here today, look how low interest rates are and look how high inflation is. And people are saying, well, inflation is transitory. And uh, well, it's transitory. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Try. We'll have to see uh, to what extent the, uh, the governments around the world have a, a desire to, you know, pull a, pull a Volcker and, uh, crank up interest rates to uh, to stop the inflation. Because right now, um, what can, which is just crazy, as you're probably aware too, is uh, 
try building a house, try getting, try getting lumber, try getting steel. I got a quote on some steel yesterday. I couldn't believe the price of steel. You know, say, Warren, yeah, it's going to, the guy works for me, actually a hired man. I got here on, on the ranch and he goes, well, it's going to cost about $5,000 to build this little steel structure. I'm going 5,000 bucks. Are you kidding me? Price of steel, price of lumber, price of everything. I also, um, I've heard stories of various places getting, you know, 20, 30% price increases across the board with whether it be PVC piping or any, any construction materials. So things are out of hand. There's one way to stop it, which is higher interest rates. And uh, we'll see if the U.S. government gets on it quick so, enough. So with transitioning U.S. dollars into Swiss francs, what would be some of the key risks associated with doing that? For example, if the war pours over into Europe, would that be something that someone in Swiss francs should worry about? Yeah, well, you always have to worry about being in any bank. Um, and uh, yeah, well, uh, Switzerland, my recollection, is is neutral. Um, so, you know, but once once things start flying and armies start moving and, and nukes start hitting, like, like uh, when, it, when a nuclear weapon does go off, it gives an electromagnetic pulse, which just obliterates and fries out a lot of electronics, right? So that's probably the biggest risk to our electronic system and, uh, you know, to people's computers and the internets and things like that. So when you are in a bank, that is, that is indeed a risk you take, um, that they'll have backup sites. Sure. Where are the backup sites? I don't know. Uh, that is a risk. That is for sure. And, uh, that there always is a risk when you have it at a bank, there's also a risk if you keep your mattress, your money in your mattress, or you keep your money, or keep your gold in a safe at your house, or, or even in to keep your gold at a bank in, in a safety deposit box, there's always a risk. So my my view, just generally on that, is we want to all be like squirrels, which is uh, have a little a few nuts here, a few nuts there. I watched I watched the nuts, the the squirrels running around here in the fall, running around with their face, you know, their mouths full of nuts, hiding a little bit of nuts here, a few nuts nuts there, and they're. Uh, they're pretty sharp. They know that if, you know, sometimes somebody will steal all their nuts over there, but at least they'll have a few more elsewhere. So I think it's important. Um, the, the general rule of thumb I look at is when you're trying to make money, you don't want to be diversified. You want to be focused, right? But when you're trying to maintain your wealth, you want to be diversified. So you, you want to have a bit of money, a little bit everywhere, a little bit of gold, a little bit of Swiss francs, a little bit, you know, different things. And If you were given a binary cho choice, Warren, I know you're not a fan of Bitcoin, but would you prefer Bitcoin over being forced by your own government into a digitized Canadian dollar or a digitized, in my case, U.S. dollar? Wow, that's an interesting question. Because um, I think that's the trend <laughs> that, that we're seeing, especially when we're seeing governments seize bank accounts, even in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, yeah, no, we saw I saw some bank accounts. Uh, it's not that many years ago, they, there was a bunch of seizure of bank accounts in uh, in Cyprus. I remember. Yeah, I'm just generally not a huge, super big, huge fan of uh, a lot of this digital stuff, and especially if it's government controlled. I guess the trick is really um, whether or not. Well, I, I guess the, the trick is whether or not it gets is readily acceptable by various merchants. That's really the key. Um, and because uh, right now, obviously, it's difficult to buy groceries with Bitcoin. Uh, I'm sure some smart person is going to, you know, yell at me saying, oh, everybody knows you can take your Bitcoin and you go to a little kiosk and you get the cash and then you go buy your groceries. You know, OK, OK, fine, fine. But uh, it's 
So, and I know you can't go into a grocery store with a bar of gold and buy groceries either. So, um, yeah, that, that's a, it's a very good question. I'm not, um, I'm not a super big fan of the cryptos because, uh, you see in China is not supportive of them. And I, you know, with a, uh, with government's ability to just wave their wand and, and outlaw Bitcoin or, or put heavy restrictions on it, especially if it's going to start competing with their own digital currency is quite great. So I think you, you run a risk there. So I guess answering my own question, I would rather have a government backed um, uh, digital currency rather than a crypto because um, uh, because I think the governments will start clamping down on it once they have once if they find it's competing with their own currency, because governments really like to control their their money supply and the currency within their country. So, um, yeah, I think I'd stick with the government one, but I might be wrong. The trajectory I see, which it seems to be happening fast in real time, is the de-dollarization of the world, the U.S. dollar, where the U.S. dollar is not going to be the world reserve currency the way it has been. So with that being the case, would you rather be in Canadian dollars or U.S. dollars right now? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I am in Canadian dollars. I don't have a lot of U.S. dollars. The, the, The Canadian dollars, when people ask me about the Canadian dollar, I said, Warren, where's the Canadian dollar going? I said, well, you tell me where the price of oil is going. I'll tell you where the Canadian dollar is going. We're pretty much a petrocurrency. And a lot of people don't know that. That's a little inside scoop here for everybody. Do your do your, do your work um, and walk, look at the correlation between the price of oil and the Canadian dollar. And uh, you'll find that, um, uh, the, that the price of oil has a significant part of uh, what happens with the Canadian dollar. So, um in that world where, um, and if you're giving me a binary decision again, <laughs> sorry, um, with all the binary rather, decisions, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather own something real. Okay, so let's. Uh, I would rather own the Canadian dollar over the U.S. dollar, just because uh, a couple of reasons. We are resource based. We're heavily oil based, and um, in a, in a hyperinflation, in um, in that type of environment, uh, we also produce a lot of c- copper, metallurgical coal. Uh, a lot of base metals, and we produce gold. Uh, it's probably not the worst place to be in a, an inflationary world. Yeah, that makes sense. How has the whole war between NATO, Ukraine, Russia? How has that affect where you're willing to go in your resource portfolio and in your duties as a resource fund manager? Yeah, what I'm doing right now is uh, for me to get involved in a new name. It would have to be such an extraordinary situation. Uh, I, I cannot imagine people investing in this market right now, uh, investing new money in new names. And so I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure whether people aren't following what's going on in Ukraine, whether they just think it's a regional issue. Um, uh, I'm not a military historian, but I, I have been in the military. Uh, I was in the Canadian Reserves when I was younger. And uh, so I have been in the Army. I know how the Army thinks, and I know how the, the military thinks. I have studied military history somewhat. And um, as we all know, um, World War One started on a, a on a very not not saying it's trivial to have a Archduke Ferdinand assassinated, but it started with an assassination. And prior to coming into this this war, I was telling anybody who would listen over the last number of years, I said, you know, I just feel the level of uneasiness in this world. It reminds me of um, the rise of uh, you know Franco and Hitler and all these despots 
prior to World War II. And um, I said, the world just feels uneasy. The world feels like I see, you know, our, our prime minister is trying to divide our country into uh, um, in, into by every which way he can, whether it be divide us by race, divide us by political beliefs, divide us by region of the country, the West against the East. I'm seeing that division by politicians around the world, and that leads to unsettling consequences. So, um, obviously, uh, you had some division when when Trump was your your president. There was probably more division as a as an exterior observer of the U.S. I saw probably more division in your country than I've seen for in my lifetime. But um, so this uh, this unsettling divisions and uncertainty was clear before this whole Ukrainian situation happened. So, and here we are. And um, right now, um, there are a lot of uh, lot of ways this thing can go. And uh, who's to know, like, would it be good if the Ukrainians won? Would it be good? Well, then, then do we you back Putin into a corner? He does something desperate. You know, you, you don't know what his off-ramp is, and you don't know what the true, and you and I, uh, have no idea what the true intention is of the U.S. government. Are the people in power um, determined to remove Putin? Um, and do they see this as the opportunity to do that? Will they remove it? And who will replace them? And how will that happen? Do they want to destroy destroy Russia? Because it's really a West against Russia right now with, with um, Ukraine just being the proxy war, right? So it is really... So some people I know believe World War III has already started. The question is, how hot will it get? And um, there are a number of Western countries that would love to see Russia destroyed, I think. And uh, would like definitely, I think everybody in the world, except for Putin, wants Putin removed, except for apparently a lot of Russians seem to love the guy. But um, yeah, we're, we're sort of, things, are, things are heating up here. And uh, Let's see how far it goes. And uh, we don't know how far it will go. And we're dealing with the guy who, uh, who uh, you know, by some accounts has cancer. And uh, he, it's about his legacy and how he'll be seen in the history books going forward. So it's always dangerous when that is the case. Whereas the old Putin was more concerned about stealing as much as he could from the Russian people and having as much money as he could and building his big home, big billion dollar home and that sort of thing and having his yachts. But I think now it's more of a more of his ego and his building his um, uh, building his legacy, and um, you know having his cancer doctor following him around as much as he has been. Uh, he gives an indication that uh, he may not be long for this world. So he doesn't have a lot to lose if he if he, if he pushes the button. So with Russia's leverage when it comes to resources over Europe in particular, they have leverage with palladium nickel, natural gas, oil, doesn't that leverage make those commodities, if they're in safer jurisdictions run by good management teams, shouldn't those investment possibilities become more attractive though? Because there's the argument that, yes, there's so much uncertainty. We don't know what's big shifts are happening economically. With war, there's uncertainty, but there's also a lot of opportunities in the commodities at the same time because the world needs these things. Yeah, well, we all else being equal, with no war in Ukraine, um, if there was no war in Ukraine right now, I'd be talking to you about 
it's a great time to be in commodities. We need more copper. We need more nickel. We need, uh, we need more metallurgical coal. We need more iron ore. We need pretty much everything. And uh, we need, and, you know, of course, oil. I've been pounding the table in oil for uh, the last couple of years saying, I know we have not been spending as a, as, as a, as a, as a race enough money looking for oil, given we have an 8% decline rate each year. And oil is bad. Nobody's financing any of my junior oil companies. Nobody's looking for oil. It's going to come around and bite us. And it's biting us, it's biting us now. Um, now, on the commodity front, what will be interesting will be how China deals with things. Because there's no use um, the, uh, the Europeans cutting off, let's say, oil purchases from Russia if China just says, okay, well, you guys can buy it from Saudi Arabia and we'll stop buying from Saudi Arabia and we'll buy from Russia instead. So that is the risk to the sanctions against, uh, against Russia. Uh, there, there was some talk on the news the other night I was watching where um, Putin's revenues actually are up like a third. Um, and he was looking at almost a third of a trillion dollars in oil revenues each year now. And when you compare that to the piddly amount, you know, the Western allies are, are, are helping out uh, the Ukrainians with like it's, he is making so much money in this higher oil environment. Uh, you know, I guess the only thing that could stop him from, from things would be uh, he, he probably just can't buy tanks fast enough or build tanks fast enough. And apparently a significant amount of the arms um, manufacturing capability was, was in Ukraine. So I'm not sure how much he has in, in Russia. I'm not sure whether every single arms factory in Russia is running full tilt with all this money Putin is making from the higher price of oil. But um, there's lots of money going into his coffers. And um, so it's not as if we're harming him that much with all these, uh, you know, I don't think we harm him too much by not having Louis Vuitton in Moscow. Uh, so, sorry, Louis Vuitton, but uh, how we harm him is stop buying his oil. And if, the, if we stop buying it, the Chinese just continue to buy it instead. That's not, it's not going to help us uh, uh, rein in this tyrant, you know. So if you are maybe not as eager to initiate a new position in the resource sector, are you holding the positions that you already established or can you speak to that at all? Yeah, well, I've got um, three, three significant positions and they're, they're all in discoveries which were made probably five, six years ago, and they've gradually been drilled out and they're ready for sale now. And uh, fortunately, we have not really, well, we have not really seen a strong M&A cycle yet for, um, for some of these items. Um, for instance, uh, I own uh, part of the Cascabel discovery, the big copper discovery in, in Ecuador, and I own that through Cornerstone and I own NextGen, which is a big uranium discovery in Northern Canada. And I also own a big uh, metallurgical coal deposit in northeastern British Columbia in Canada. So these are all sought after assets. And uh, what we need now is just to see the um, some of the majors who have been, uh, you know, quietly making absolutely tons of money. Uh, eventually, they're going to have so much cash in their books. They're going to say, well, we could either give it back to shareholders or we could um, reinvest in some new projects. So I'm hoping that will happen. If I'm able to sell some of these, I imagine some of them will get bought. Uh, would I reinvest that money? Probably not. I think I, I like to sit tight for sure, for sure, and uh, and and wait for um, for a better time to get into the the market. But then there's 
some people are of the view, well, if we have nuclear war, it won't matter anyway. So why don't we just uh, balls to the wall, uh, invest in everything we can. And uh, um, assuming we don't have it, because if we do have it, we'll all be uh, in a pretty rough shape. So that's another another approach people are taking. So, um, But my approach, I think, is uh, I'd like to get some of my names sold. Um, the commodity prices are doing very well. Copper's doing great. Uranium, I just noticed, hit $62 here this morning. Um, Met coal um, has come off a little bit recently, but it was up like 20 bucks overnight in Australia. So everything's doing pretty well. And the potential buyers know there's going to be shortages in the future. And um, they're making tons of cash. So for them to, to cut a check for a billion here, a few billion there, to pick up some of these assets um, is probably not the worst thing in the world for them because... Uh, you know, we will need these commodities going forward if the world is not completely obliterated with nuclear war. So carbon royalty, that's another, you know, thing we're seeing more of. Are you, I, I guess I might be asking the same question, but have you invested in any of these type of deals? Yeah, I gave some money to a friend of mine who, uh, not, not a huge amount of money, a small amount of money into a carbon deal. So We'll see what uh, what he ends up doing with it. Uh, he's where he's partnered up with some very very smart people who really know the carbon carbon credit market, and uh, so we'll see what happens. And uh, I think the market will develop over time, but uh, it's just really just a small toe in the water to see what happens. Would I uh, bet the the whole wad on something like that? No, but uh, I'm just doing it just to get familiar with the market, see how it's going, watch watch it uh, watch it develop a little bit, get involved with some good people, and see if. There's money to be made there. So we'll, we'll see. And last question. I assume if you're not investing in Bitcoin, probably not investing in the metaverse or NFTs, right? <laughs> well, I just bought this really nice property right next next to Snoop Dogg on the, on the metaverse. And uh, I went shopping and, and bought some really amazing metaverse clothes. They, they fit better in the metaverse than they do in my real body. <laughs> I look really good. Trust me on this one, Bill. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Am I the only one who thinks that's the the metaverse is just one of the most complete, completely ridiculous and nonsensical things in the world? I, I just, I'm just not. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm totally missing out on the metaverse. But I think uh, metaverse NFTs. I'm just, uh, I'm not there. But you know, on things that are collectible. You know, I'm not a fan of modern art. Uh, I'm not. You know, I don't see why people would pay thirty million dollars for a white canvas. Or a famous artist throws some paint against it and says, oh, $30 million. And uh, so I'm not in that market. I don't collect uh, hockey cards or baseball cards, you know, but some people love it. And um, with all this stuff, uh, it all comes down to if um, the value is, is, is really, will other people pay money for it? And other people pay money for Wayne Gretzky rookie, rookie hockey cards, or you know Babe Ruth uh, hockey cards, or um, or modern art by one of a host of modern uh, modern artists. So uh, just because I don't think it has any value uh, doesn't mean it's not totally collectible. And you know some people may may love their NFTs and their 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 new threads they have in the metaverse, or some of the real estate investments they're making in the metaverse. So. You know, knock yourself out, kids. And, uh, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a new world, and um, I, I'm just especially blown away by the amount of money people have made with uh, with Bitcoin, and made with, it quickly too. 
And that's the expectation, right? I know a guy that made seven figures in one week on some uh, AMC and GME calls last year. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. no, those are, uh, that's interesting. And, you know, I've, I've been through, uh, I've been through a few greed cycles myself. I I remember the one that I was most active in was a big greed and greed cycle in the resource sector in uh, the mid nineties. And then it was kind of fun to watch the greed cycle with the NASDAQ, with the turn of the internet um in uh into in 1999 and 2000 that was fascinating too and um sadly both those came to an end so we'll see how we'll see how this whole bitcoin things comes to an, to an end we'll see how the nfts come to you know what happens with the nfts the metaverse uh all this stuff and you know we'll see but meanwhile the bulk of my assets are in are in real things which are like real estate copper Met coal, uranium, um, gold, like just real things. I'm, I'm boring. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> I, and and um, you have a ranch too, right? For those that don't know, you have a pretty impressive ranch. Yeah, no, I have a ranch and there's cows on it and stuff. And uh, the air here is fresh and uh, I'm away from any immediate blast zones from uh, any nuclear strikes. Uh, I might have some fallout depending on where the winds are blowing. Uh, but I've, in the last few weeks i've done tons of reading on fallout shelters and i'm pretty sure if i um, i'm not sure if you guys know the, some of the math but i think it's like 80 percent of the radiation from fallout which is just the radioactive dust that is a result of a, a nuclear blast when it gets in the upper atmosphere you don't really know where the winds are blowing but it'll settle back down to earth so if it settles on your house you want to go to your basement so you're far enough away from it but uh, the radiation my recollection from the, what i've read is about uh, 80% of it is gone in 24 hours. So if you could sh- shelter yourself for the first 24 hours from, from that, that's a good thing. And then over a period of a couple of weeks, that's why people build fallout shelters. In a couple of weeks, it's down to like 1% of the radiation. And don't you do so, like two or three weeks of iodine pills too? Yeah, yeah, I've got iodine pills. Uh, you know, I remember... My this girlfriend. is our most depressing interview, by the way, Warren. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But my, uh, we're talking about nuclear war. <laughs> but my, uh, my, I remember I, I had some experience with, uh, with pandemics more before COVID hit because uh, I was operating, uh, I was the largest shareholder in an oil company operating uh, in Liberia and we were partners with Exxon and the whole Ebola thing just blew up. So I was all on top of this Ebola thing and, you know, Exxon shut down our operation. They shut down their, um, they shut down their office. They shut down their the yard there. They had to store pipe, and um, so I just uh, I immediately went out and uh, got my assistant to load up on N one hundred N one hundred masks, which are ninety nine point nine, and then I got goggles and like if you saw what happens with people with Ebola, it's tr- it's terrible. I was going, man, if this Ebola ever comes to North America, I don't want anything to do with it. So. I loaded up with all these N100s and these full hazmat suits and the boot covers and the goggles and the gloves. And, and my girlfriend thought I was crazy and she was, she was laughing at me. Well, when the COVID started and there were no masks in North America, I had, a, I had boxes and boxes of these N100 masks, which were, which are the highest level mask or one of the highest level masks there are. So I was, we were wearing these N100s to, to the grocery store and people were thinking we're crazy, but, uh, but they're just wondering, you know, where'd you get those? We'd like to get some. And so um, it, it's all about, you know, um, owning some things before other people realize they need to own them. So those N100 masks definitely served us 
very, very well until the N95s came out. And N95s are are way easier to breathe through uh, than the N100s there. Um, but anyways, that's sort of uh, my little trivia story. But I'll tell you, um, iodine tablets will be the same thing, right? If, do, you, um, do you own any? Uh, I do, but they're out of date. I just asked my wife about okay. it, actually. <laughs> okay. yeah, so, yeah, like try find iodine tablets after a few nukes start going off in Europe. Like, forget it. Yeah. Now, trust me, maybe we should do... Don't invest in the U.S. dollar. Invest in iodine. Tablets. Okay. <laughs> because, uh, but um, or yeah, iodine should, company or avoid all yeah. equities. <laughs> yeah, I remember Lucas Lundin used to have an iodine company in South America somewhere. I don't know what happened to that one, but uh, yeah, I should definitely check the expiry date on my iodine tablets. And um, one of those things that you you have and you hope you never never use, and I'd hoped I never would have used my N100s, but I did. And uh, so what do you do? But um, yeah, this world is a bit of a messed up place. I'm hoping, uh, like everybody, that uh, things will settle down in the Ukraine. And uh, we there's definitely a serious problem there. And there's uh, a lot of bad stuff going on on the ground in Ukraine. And uh, let's hope that ends soon in a, in a peaceful settlement. But uh, it's not a, you know, you can never... Uh, you never know how that's going to end up. And, you know, Bill, like the, perhaps the reason we're having a depressing conversation is because, you know, I've been around 57 years, right? And by far, this is the most messed up I have ever seen in this world, whether it be everything from construction to shipping costs to trying to buy a car to like uh, with global climate change. And then you get this, uh, we're on the verge of World War III with Russia. Like we have a lot of really weird stuff going on right now all at once oh yeah covid forget don't forget covid right like so you add it all together <laughs> we got a lot of weird stuff going on and uh for somebody to sit back and say oh yeah nothing's changed let's let's invest in some junior gold stocks well okay it's like i'm just i'm not there yet i haven't smoked enough dope dope to be that chill to do that i'm sort of still of the view i've never seen the world more messed up than it is right now and for me to continue on investing um, the way I think uh, uh, a rational person would, I, I just don't think a rational person in this environment would be uh, putting more money to work. They'd sort of be saying, well, listen, maybe I'll just sit tight here for a while and just see how things develop. And, and uh, yeah, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed. You're in the wealth stuff. preservation stage too, though, right? So a lot of my listeners are going to be in the wealth accumulation phase. So we're, <laughs> we're looking for opportunities. So I'm playing both, Warren. I'm Trying yeah, to know, accumulate as well as preserve what I've obtained thus far. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the one thing I've learned in the last number of years here is, uh, you know, let's take a look at, really, you know, one name I've been preaching everybody about it for last three or four years has been NextGen, right? NextGen's been an interesting one. And, you know, uh, what's interesting about NextGen is in that meltdown we had in 2020 because of COVID, it hit uh, 80 cents. Today, it's seven bucks. So, and then you look at, you know, tech, which is, you know, a blue chip Canadian uh, resource company. And it was, uh, how many years ago? It was $4 and now it's $40, $50. And so there are these times where you just need to really just take your cash to make money. And you sometimes you just take your cash, just sit back and wait for those really, really good opportunities where, you have to pinch yourself and say, what am I missing here? Why is tech $4? Is it going to go bankrupt? It's not going to bankrupt. And uh, uh, I remember I was short tech at around 13 bucks and I covered around $4, but I was not smart enough 
to, uh, to, and now I trust me, Bill. Now I ask the question, if I've just covered the short, should I go long? Because the real money was made long. And I remember the stock got into the threes. This is the previous, not this past meltdown in tech. It was a previous one. It got into the threes. And then before you know it, it's 40 bucks. You can make a 10 bagger on a highly liquid uh, blue chip uh, resource company like tech. And, um, and then you take a look at next gen blue, blue chip junior uh, uranium, the best, um, the best uranium deposit in the world. And in, you know, in uh, early to 2020, you could have bought it for 80 cents a share and it's now seven bucks. And so sometimes, you know, it, it makes sense to sit on a little bit of cash so that you have cash for opportunities like that, because the amount of money you can make, if you have a bit of cash, um, is is phenomenal. And unfortunately, in in 2020, I did not have a lot of cash extra to load up on on um, on uh, next gen. Fortunately, I wrote, you know, I was able to ride it through. I didn't have to sell any, but uh, I, I certainly wish I had another hundred million dollars to throw in the next gen at 80 cents because uh, you know <laughs> could have made almost a billion dollars in that trade, but. Um, yeah, no, there's uh, so the key here, let's see what uh, kind of opportunities unfold. I don't think it would be uh, an unwise thing for investors to be sitting on a bit of cash here, waiting for a few things to shake out and just see what, uh, see what happens here. Yes, well, really appreciate your time, Warren. Thank you for sharing your insights and analysis. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Bill. Always great chatting with you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.